You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM, and I'm Ambigar Garian here with my co-host, John Tarleton. Now, turning to our final segment, the U.S. is experiencing an inflation rate of almost 8%, the highest it's been in 40 years. The cost of just about everything is going up, up, and up. To rein in inflation, the Federal Reserve plant, sorry, the Federal Reserve, let's be clear about that, a main actor. To rein in inflation, the Federal Reserve plans to steadily increase interest rates over the coming year. Joining us today to help us better understand what the Federal Reserve is, why it's doing what it's doing, and who the winner and who the losers will be is Patty Quick. Patty is a retired professor of economics at St. Francis College in New York, a member of the Union of Radical Political Economists, and a contributing writer for The Independent. Her latest piece, which will appear in our April edition, is titled Get Ready for a Government-Engineered Increase in Unemployment. Patty, thanks for joining us on WBAI Radio. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we talk about the Federal Reserve's inflation fighting strategy and what the impact it will have, can you explain in a nutshell what the Federal Reserve is, its relation to other banks and how it sets interest rates and why that all gives it so much power? Well, in three sentences or less, no. um, the Federal Reserve is the main bank of the United States um, and manages the entire financial system, um, and as such, it regulates all the all the banks and financial institutions within the United States. Um, it's governed by its board of governors is nominated by the president and appointed by the Senate. They have 14-year terms of office, and they are 100% independent of Congress, which means that the decisions that they make cannot be overruled by the president or Congress at all. So they are what they call independent, meaning independent of elected officials. So don't bother to write your elected officials to tell them, to ask them to change what the Fed is going to do, because they have no power to do that. And what do you make of the Fed's plan uh, to boost interest rates throughout the coming year? And uh, what do you expect the impact to be? First of all, the, the reason that they're acting that way is that uh, inflation is damaging to the prospects, the corporate pro- profits, and uh, is damaging to the capitalist economic system as we know it. Um, so the decision as to how to reduce inflation is to put the economy Uh, to slow down the economy, to reduce production, and thereby uh, reduce the uh, reduce general prices. Um, And the uh, that means that they want to cut um, both consumer spending, household spending, and corporate investment spending. And that will, of course, put people out of work. The other way to have the same effect is what's called fiscal policy. The Federal Reserve does monetary policy, dealing with money and finance. Um, Congress deals with fiscal policy. They could cut spending or raise taxes. But these days, um, because the Federal Reserve is so independent of uh, elected officials, uh, the 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 Federal Reserve has the main responsibility, as capital sees it, to take care of this problem that uh, capital is facing. So what they do was, is... Go ahead. Go ahead if you, if you have an additional comment. No, just... So what they do is, is restrict the ability 
of financial institutions to make loans. And, uh, and by doing that, obviously, households can't buy cars on credit. Uh, mortgages are more expensive. But actually, three times as much of the spending comes from businesses postponing their investment plans. So they cancel the plans for new office buildings, for new factories, for new shopping malls, and so on and so forth. And all of the people that would have produced those things are then put out of work. Okay, so it often gets thought of as, oh, if I, yeah, if I want to buy a new car, that's going to be difficult. Like, you know, I'm going to have to, my pockets are going to be a little tighter when the extent of it is I, you know, my son or myself might not be able to find a job. Um, All right. Well, the current moment is being compared to the late 1970s when inflation was running as high as 13% and the Fed ultimately responded by jacking up interest rates to 21% and triggering a recession that saw the unemployment rate soar over 10%. What are the chances we'll see something as extreme as that happen this time? I don't think it'll be as extreme in terms of the overall rate of inflation, uh, which is, by the way, an international phenomenon. It's not unite, not restricted to the United States. But unemployment could easily get above 10 percent. Um, and the Fed would probably be quite happy with that um, as what they see a short term solution for what they see as a more fundamental problem. So, yes, unemployment is definitely going to increase. They use the term recession, by the way, to refer to only when there's an actual fall in production, whereas most people think of it as rising unemployment. Unemployment will increase whether production will actually fall to zero or below zero, um, whether the whether there will actually a total decrease is another matter. But we are heading for increased unemployment. Right. And when we talk about a fall in production, essentially when the GDP goes down two consecutive quarters, that's considered a recession. And, yeah. and that may or may not happen, but it will slow down to the extent where you will start to see unemployment rates going up. You need to have a continually growing um, production, both to take care of an increase in the labor force and to deal with unemployment caused by development and technology. So for both of those reasons, production has to grow in order to maintain employment. Okay. And we're going to uh, go here in a moment to a clip of Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell Uh, talking about their plans and how he sees what they're doing. We understand that high inflation imposes significant hardship, especially on those least able to meet the higher costs of essentials like food, housing, and transportation. We know that the best thing we can do to support a strong labor market is to promote a long expansion, and that is only possible in an environment of price stability. As we emphasize in our policy statement, With appropriate firming in the stance of monetary policy, we expect inflation to return to 2% while the labor market remains strong. Okay, so that was Fed Chairman Jerome Powell speaking, and he uses a very bland uh, technocratic language in keeping with the Fed's reputation, or at least official reputation, as an apolitical institution that serves the national interest. Uh, Your thoughts about this? Is the Fed (laughs) as neutral as it makes itself out to be, or does it have... Uh, particular constituencies. They, they, they make it sound that the problem with inflation is the poor workers aren't going to be able to keep up with the increasing prices. That is not the problem. In order to keep up with rising prices, you need rising wages. And the problem is that wages aren't keeping up with inflation. So the problem is not one uh, that the Fed is so worried about all these poor people that can't, can't, can't buy things. That's not what they're concerned about. What they're concerned about is that 
corporations' long-term investment plans of spending and increasing production are being messed up. And that's what they, and so they present, they present inflation as if it's a problem for workers. It is a problem for workers. The solution for workers is higher wages. Um, and that's not what they talk about. They talk about a strong labor market. They are kidding. They mean a weaker labor market. They mean higher unemployment. And so it will be hard for people to get wages that increase in money terms, let alone to keep wages that could keep up and go beyond the price increases. If he was that concerned about, about uh, inflation, he would have worried over the last 50 years when we barely managed to keep up with inflation um, in terms of wages. Uh, that's a long-term problem. We need higher wages. We need higher, stronger labor uh, organizations. Um, so whenever they, they, people understandably are concerned about inflation. Um, the solution from the workers' point of view is to get wages that are greater than the rate of price increases. So if wages inflation is 8%, you need 10% increase in wages. And if inflation is 2%, you need 4%. In the past few years, inflation has been maybe 2%, and we've got 1.5%. So that we have been suffering from low inflation, and we will suffer from high inflation. Um, both of those solutions require stronger labor um, activity and higher wages and an increased safety net to deal with those that suffer uh, from unemployment. And, and can you elaborate a little bit, Patty, on how the ruling class benefits from the Fed's actions and why you think the rich should be taxed in order to strengthen the social safety net once unemployment starts climbing? Profits will decrease when production uh, slows down. That is what will happen. But the long-term goal is the stability that will allow capital to flourish. In this period, by the way, it will be the small businesses that go under and leave their markets to be taken over by the big businesses. So the big businesses, the big corporations, will take a short-term loss over the next year or two um, because production goes down. But the long-term effect will be to strengthen their ability to make profits. So it is in the long term for the profitability of corporations that the Fed is acting. It is on their behalf that the Federal Reserve is taking these steps to slow down, slow down the economy and increase unemployment. So the, the, the short-term cost is indeed obviously on workers because of unemployment. There is also a short-term cost for corporations, but it is short-term that they are quite prepared to accept and deal with. They're having to postpone their investment plans. Poor things. Uh, when the economy recovers, they will go right back in into a stronger market with a weaker labor force and with some of the poor, poorer and smaller businesses driven out by the by the period of, of unemployment. Right. It, it, you make a, also an interesting point in, in the article you, you wrote for The Independent about how uh, the people who become uh, unemployed in this uh, in this whole uh, situation uh, should not be blamed for their plight and they shouldn't uh, blame themselves. Of course, we have a very individualistic society um, that sees unemployment as a as sort of a shameful individual failing. Uh, can you talk about uh, why uh, we should avoid that sort of thinking uh, as we head into this situation? 
talk about the unemployed as if it's a group of people that could be characterized as lazy, unable to deal with technology and so on and so forth. What it is, is there's a revolving number of people unemployed. So what unemployment appears to people is experienced is a longer period between jobs. So you're laid off. Um, and instead of getting back into another job in five weeks, it takes you eight weeks or 10 weeks or six months. And then people mostly get back into a job. Some people are permanently driven out, particularly people who are older, um, have health problems. But for most people, what unemployment is experienced as is a longer period between jobs that devastates them devastates whatever savings they might have got, requires them to draw on the help of their relatives and their communities. Um, and that is a long-term damage, uh, the long-term unemployment. If they're unemployed for six months, they can be, they can be, be evicted, unemployed to pay their rent. Um, that's what unemployment means, as opposed to a group of people that we can characterize as, oh dear, how come they can't get jobs? They, they do eventually get jobs but from a weaker position. And then from a weaker position, if you've been unemployed for four months, you're more willing to take a, a rotten, lousy job um, than if you've been able to survive for maybe three weeks unemployment. So there is a long-term permanent damage that the entire working class suffers. Most people go through periods of unemployment. Being unemployed for two weeks in the year, if everybody was unemployed for two weeks in the year, that would be a 4% rate of inflation, rate of unemployment, sorry. Um, that's what unemployment means. Uh, so that the people that suffer from it are not just the you know, 5%, 8%, 10% of the people who are currently unemployed, but all of those people that suffer from that longer period between jobs. And that means that uh, unemployment is clearly nothing to do with whether they are lazy, hardworking, whatever, whatever. Um, that doesn't change. Um, people who are unemployed are more likely to have less, less unemployment because those are the people that are more easily laid off by businesses. Does that mean if everybody had more education, there would be less unemployment? No, it doesn't work that way. Um, so that educa low education is not a cause of unemployment. It's that the people who are laid off from a business are those who are more easily replaceable, which is the people with less skills at the bottom of the hierarchy within every workplace. And, and how will higher interest rates and higher unemployment impact the surge in union strikes and union organizing, labor organizing that we've been seeing um, really around the country? It's more frightening to, to try and organize a union when there's high unemployment because organizing a union is one of the quickest ways to lose your job. Um, so it's going to be harder, but more essential to organize on the workplace. And we are actually seeing an uptick in that, which I think is very exciting. I think it's very interesting that there was uh, one recent election for a Starbucks in which they managed to get the union represented and acknowledged there were 11 people, which is more power to them. But 11 people and their victory was reported in the news in the New York Times. They are, corporations are actually worried about this. 11 people, I mean, and the number of people who are active in so many different ways, but the fact that 11 people within Starbucks 
there, there are only six Starbucks unions uh, companies, that are, uh, workshops that are that are that have unions. The, it really is increasing, and I think that's very exciting. As I say, it's increasingly hard to do, but ever and ever more essential. Right, and and I've actually been following um, the struggle to organize uh, Amazon, which is uh, you know owned by Jeff Bezos, the world's always competing competing to be the world's richest man in the world, um, and the second largest employer after Walmart, who is still the first largest employer in the United States. Um, and uh, so, but the the more importantly, the warehouse workers, um, six thousand warehouse house workers at the at the largest warehouse out of four on Staten Island. Um, are voting to unionize right now as we speak. There are workers um, exiting this huge, enormous two football field size warehouse um, where they toil for 12 or 10 hours a day and walking into a National Labor Relations Board, large white tent, um, but still dwarfed by the magnitude of the warehouse. Um, and they're voting on whether or not to form a union. And if they do form a union, they will have to fight for a contract with the company to to get, you know, the really basic, basic workplace protections and, and wages that they want. But uh, that is a huge that's a huge move. Your comments on that, Patty? One of the one of the problems is that the delays that uh, the corporations like Amazon put into this mean that by the time the vote it actually takes place, there has been a huge turnover in the workforce because the jobs are so stressful and so terrible that people leave and you're more than half the workforce. I forget the exact number, but the turnover is enormous. Absolutely. So the people that newly get jobs say, oh, thank goodness I've got a job and are therefore less likely to vote for the union. Um, so that if we could get what we want, which is immediate card recognition. If 70% of the current workers say we want a union, there should be a union, as opposed to there should be an election, maybe six months, nine months from now. Let's see about it. Let's talk this. Well, and not only are our workers more likely to um, vote you know, know when they've just been hired and, you know, haven't been run over by the company for months, but the organizers have to get to 6,000 to 10,000 people. This is how many people they have to unionize in these Amazon campaigns, just getting to that many people. Well, they're getting fired once you've gotten to them because, you know, Amazon's pushing for the election to be further away. So you're absolutely right. No, it's very hard. But as I say, um, the success is are important, but you need a fundamental change in the way in which representation takes place. I mean, card choice is one part of it. The other thing that is absolutely essential is that unemployment should not be as devastating and scary as it currently is, that New York State in particular has really rotten unemployment laws, but compared to New Jersey, which is not that great, but um, it's much, much better than New York, so that unemployment compensation is pathetic. Okay. Um, We'll have to leave it there. We have to wrap up. But uh, uh, Patty Quick, uh, economist, contributing writer to The Independent, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You you bet. Thank you for the work you do. Absolutely. We look forward to your article in our print edition. It hits the streets later this week. And uh, we have to go now. But uh, uh, thanks to uh, Lachlan Hyatt uh, reporting from the field and our board operator, uh, Reggie Johnson. And and, uh, we'll be back same time next week. And Amba, what's our uh, song here to leave on? Classic hit, Money, Money, Money by ABBA. 
Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's you. 